electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. Call me. 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now, we can rebound from our lows like we did today. Dow ultimately declining just 30 points. S&P advancing 0.45% in the NASDAQ, gaining gaining 1.04%. But we aren't going to get a sustained run in this stock market until we get a resolution to the debt ceiling crisis. In the meantime, everything else is just noise, including Wall Street's love affair with artificial intelligence and a cooler consumer price index number this morning that may have pleased the Fed. But even if we just stop the rate increases, if we don't stop the debt ceiling problem, well, there's problems. There's real problems. What's my reason? Well, it's based entirely on what happened the last time we had a debt ceiling crisis, 2011. Long term, it didn't really matter. But short term, it was an absolute nightmare. And I felt the full brunt of it. The House of Pain. Well, I'm determined to remain constructive during this period, and that's my operative word, constructive. I recall the Wrangley in 2011. It was so ugly and fraught between both sides that it's worth remembering how quickly Dow Jones Industrial Average was just slaughtered pretty much out of nowhere. The timeline was brutal. We knew the government was going to run out of money by August 2nd of that year. Both sides played a game of chicken for a little more than a month. Beginning in earnest during the third week of July, Dow was at 12724. The deal wasn't reached until the Dow dropped almost 900 points, a deal that came in part because lawmakers were worried that they themselves were causing a multi-day stock market crash. But the nightmare didn't end with the Dow at 11,866. Nope, we got a second leg down when the Standard & Poor's uh, the organization, the entity, unsatisfied with the budget agreement, downgraded the debt of the United States government. Because who trusts the bonds of a country that might default on its obligations purely out of political dysfunction? That caused the Dow to swing all the way down to 10,809. Finally, that was the end of it, though. A vicious 19% decline peaked the trough. There was very little negative follow-through after the downgrade, and the market quickly had a furious rally. And it was so good you couldn't miss it. That is another reason why I'm trying to stay constructive. Now, this time around, the situation is more complicated. If we just had the Fed continuing to raise interest rates on top of the debt ceiling debacle, well, that would be enough to give us a hard time. If we were just running into the first cracks in the economy from the last 500 basis points of rate hikes, well, then we'd expect to see some downside volatility. If we didn't have that banking crisis that threatens to derail commercial real estate, at least the lending to it, and small business credit to boot. Well, we could rest a little easier, but those are those are worries galore. They're just worries. But all that, all this market really seems to have going for it right now is generative AI and the companies that can profit from it. 
which is a pretty slim read, although a bountiful one if you're members of the investing club, where NVIDIA and Apple are owned, owned trade stocks and Microsoft and Salesforce are giant positions. So the backdrop of the debt ceiling and deficit talks is more muddled than back in 2011. Worse, both parties seem to hate each other far more than they did a decade ago. The rhetoric this time is a lot more toxic. Obviously, there was plenty of toxicity in 2011, too. But I think there was a lot more good faith on both sides back then. The Democrats were willing to cave on spending cuts. The Republicans' leadership didn't really want to force it to fall. The process was incredibly acrimonious, yes, indeed, but we did get a deal in the end. This time, there's nothing. The Republican leadership almost seems eager to trigger a default to keep to kick the Democrats out of the White House. Meanwhile, President Biden doesn't seem to even negotiate. He's fielded the idea of invoking some language from the 14th Amendment to insist the White House has the obligation to pay all its government's bills no matter what. Is it a legitimate solution? Listen, Lawrence Tribe, eminent legal scholar that President Biden mentioned as being in favor of invoking the 14th Amendment, disagreed with his own position back in 2011. But the real problem with this plan is that it would trigger a huge constitutional crisis. I'd expect to see a couple of disastrous down days for the market, with the, market, with, with the matter only being decided by a Republican-dominated Supreme Court, which would probably just kick things right back to Congress where we started. If you think yes, be downgrade was a nightmare, can you imagine what that debacle would bring? We got 19% peak to 12 in 2011. I don't even want to think about how the heart of the market would get hit in the constitutional crisis. Maybe the rating agencies would feel that they have no choice but to downgrade again, perhaps to, uh, to deadbeat status, as Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen opined the other day. So why not just sell everything? Okay, well, there are plenty of reasons not to. First, there's always the possibility we get an agreement. Remember, they didn't want to crash themselves in 2011. Things seemed incredibly hopeless in 2011 until suddenly we got to compromise. If you sell before that happens, you can miss out on one of the most explosive rallies that we may ever have in our lives. Second, we aren't far from the end of the Fed's tightening cycle. We got a cooler inflation number today. And when the journal reported the Fed liked the number, the market had a dramatic midday rally. By itself, that's not enough for the Fed to take a break, but it certainly didn't hurt. Finally, there's plenty of fear about the banking business and how it could hurt the real economy. There are plenty of cyclical stocks that are joining the banks, and we Weakness. Those stocks are the kind that rallied furiously after the debacle in 2011. I don't want to miss that move either. If you get a near default or even a constitutional crisis that's solved at the end of the month, you're also going to get some softer wages in the June employment report, at which point stocks will get much more attractive because then the Fed will be done. In that case, you're going to regret paying attention to all this debt ceiling wrangling altogether and might have less of a chance to get back in than you did in 2011. It's not too risky to raise some cash here, though, but it's too risky to leave the market entirely, especially if you consider what Carly Garner told us last night in our off-the-chart segment. She said short selling is already at record levels. Still, let me tell you why I'm more perturbed than most about the particular debt, debt battle. In 2011, the debt ceiling issue really hit home. I had attended the Philadelphia Eagles training camp during that period, and a host of players were incredibly worried and were asking about what it meant for their salaries and savings for our debt to be downgraded. They thought it was going to change their lives. I was just trying to find out who was going to get cut. This issue really hits home with our watchers, with you. I bring it up to, to show how this was a faux business story that became a real-life national story and scared the heck out of people. When you couple that with the words broadcast by us from a guy like Stanley Druckenmiller, still one more billionaire who doesn't like what's happening and fails to choose his words carefully, and you get the possibility of another generational exit from the market occurring just when you should be buying. Now, I think the world of Druckenmiller, he's been right. He's absolutely right. There's been way too much stimulus. Fed kept rates too long, uh, way too low. But the stimulus is long gone, and the Fed's been tightening like crazy. Come on. He's, he said back, he said in, in Bloomberg Alpha in 2022, he's made a a lot of mistakes, but he owned up to them. Well, you know what? So's, so's the Fed. 
Sadly, the billionaire class is never going to tell you to buy anything. When you're already that wealthy, you tend to have very different financial priorities from our viewers because you only need to get rich once, and I'll never forget that. So let's do this. Raise some cash. We told people in our home stretch segment for the CNBC Investing Club, we'd sacrifice even some of our generative AI winners because they're overheating. We've taken our cash position higher for the Chapel Trust, as club members know. But then you wait. Do we get another 19% peak to trough decline in late 2011? I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing. We'll be ready to put money to work if it happens. The bottom line, I do know we haven't seen the worst of the debt ceiling fight. So don't make a move unless you're buying a stock that does well in a recession. Because that's what Wall Street will presume we're going to go into if this battle drags on. But when I say raise cash, I don't mean all cash. And as club members, many of you know, we will be doing some buying individual stock declines like we always do. Marcus in New Mexico. Marcus. Hey, Jim, my guy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Marcus. How about you? Oh, great. Thanks for taking my call. The stock I'm calling about today has been, in my opinion, unjustly beaten up due to the turmoil from the regional banks. Uh, is right now a good time to add to my BlackRock position? Okay, I want you to do it in two stages. First of all, I totally agree with you. I want you to do some tomorrow because we're down a lot. And then I want you to wait a little until we see if we get a little more negativity into this debt ceiling dish. But here's what made me think about it. I was shocked to see that the stock of Larry Fink, a man I admire tremendously, has a 3% yield already. So here's what I do. You buy some here. Then you buy someone that gets to 3.5. And then you buy someone that gets to 4% yield. That's how I like to buy stocks like that in those increments. Go to work. Kevin in Texas. Kevin. Booyah, Jim. How's it going? Ah, well, I'm doing quite well. How about you? Well, good. Shout out to Baby Papo and my niece, Olivia Marco. Of course. I mean, I can't think of something that was right on the top of my mind myself. I'm glad you brought it out. (laughs) I uh, got a question today about NVIDIA and AMD. We've seen a bull market run in these two stocks recently. I'm wondering, should I keep uh, holding on or should I take some off the table or add? Oh, don't you take them off the table. Our status on NVIDIA is clear. Own it, don't trade it. AMD, a lot of people blew out of it at 82. You know what they're thinking? Turn the channel. I can't take it. That Kramer made us so much money if you had stuck with it. That's what I say. Jeff in New York. Jeff. Jeffrey. It's Jimmy Chill. Speak to me. How you doing? Good. How about you? Good. Hey, I had a quick question about Regeneron, R-E-G-N. I'll give you a quick answer. I like Regeneron very much right here at 750. Uh, Len and I were talking, I was talking to a very good friend of Len's just the other day, Dr. Len Schleifer, and we both were remarking, how can this stock sell at only 18 times earnings? It's got so much game. I say buy Regeneron. Boy, does that stock do well in a recession, too. That stock actually needs a debt default. I'm going to Trey in Texas. Trey. Jim, the cost to own shares of Wingstop may be over $200, but I fear the cost of not owning them is a lifetime of self-loathing. What do you think? A lifetime of self-loathing. Since I've had one, I can totally agree with you. Um, I happen to like, I like Wingstop. We just had them one very much. I like them when Charlie Morrison was on. I saw the Super Bowl. I think Wingstop is really good. It's really hard to get. The only way to get uh, a, a franchise is to be incredibly successful at other franchises. How can you miss their price of wings going down? Why did that Tyson conference call? I say buy, buy, buy. And I like these callers because they have horse sense. All right, we aren't going to get a sustained run in the stock market, though, until we get a resolution of debt crisis. Everything else is kind of just backing and filling, flopping and chopping. In the meantime, don't forget, tune out the noise. We are remaining constructive. All right, man, tonight. 
we're breaking through that noise with a look at some key industrials, starting with retail. Don't mind my, miss my excuse, but the CEO of Tanger to find out what the consumer is signaling. Then AI is taking the market by storm. Now, Thomas Vehicles could be one of the biggest secular growth themes of the decade. We're talking with the GM back crews as they continue to expand their footprint. And speaking of AI, it could be an artificial intelligence that takes your order the next time you get a craving for a Baconator or a Frosty. That's right, Wendy's has unveiled plans to add AI technology to its drive through What the heck is that stock doing right here and not much higher? Don't miss my post exclusive. Earnings exclusive with the fast food chain CEO to learn more about the move. And stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also, a fact smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Every day we hear about how commercial real estate is a disaster. But as I keep pointing out to you, there are many different kinds of commercial real estate. Well, some of them are in trouble. I'm not going to deny that. Some of these are urban office spaces. Others are doing just fine. Take Tanger. That's the largest operator of upscale open-air outlet centers where you can get the good stuff for cheaper than you would otherwise. When Tanger reported last month, they delivered a nice top and bottom line beat with a better than expected occupancy rate, and management even raised their full year forecast. In response, the stock jumped 7% 
let's just say it's going to have some of the gains. Uh, going forward, Tanger's trying to de-emphasize the outlet aspect and focus on the unique outdoor shopping environment, which includes rolling out more dining and entertainment options. So let's take a closer look with Steve Yalov. He's the president and CEO of Tanger, who rang the opening bell here at the New York Stock Exchange. This is a celebration of the company's 30th year. Stephen, welcome back to Bad Money. Thank you for having me back. But I am tired, as I know, because you watch the show, of hearing and bemoaning about commercial real estate. How exactly would we have done had we bought your stock when it came public? Oh, gosh, I'd probably 1,700% return. <laughs> I know. And I think of that and I say, how many people got scared off by worries about retail and worries about shopping centers? And I think people don't understand you have a unique value proposition that is unlike almost any other. Combination of things. First of all, you know, let's go back. Let's go back to COVID, the ultimate scare when a lot of people, you know, thought that retail shopping was dead. And then what opened up open air shopping centers was the only place where people could get together and gather. And, you know, we took a lead off of that. You talked about our entertainment uses and our better food and beverage. That's what the customer was demanding. They were looking for a place to not only go and shop, but spend more time. Spend let's, talk, let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, when I go to mine, uh, you know, we'll go out to lunch and then we'll go to there. I don't want to do that. Right. I want to have lunch there. Will that be the case? Well, that's what we're, we're spreading across all of our shopping centers. So food and beverage is a huge part. Whether we do it in line, right. so replace an existing store with a better food and beverage op, uh, operator, or uh, using our peripheral land, which is a big piece of our business now. We've got 36 shopping centers. One on the way, Nashville, 37, will open uh, in a a couple of months. And food and beverage is a really important part to all those businesses. Now, a lot of people are worried, by friends who are in the home and garden business, they're worried that it might be a little too cool or it might rain. I always figure your business, that's where I go when it's too cool and might rain. Well, if you think about all our beach communities, Myrtle Beach, Hilton Head, Rehoboth Beach, when those clouds darken up, the parking lots get full. So foul weather during the summer is the outlet center's best friend. I am uh, perplexed by our government that puts out these figures, which talks about inflation. Uh, You want to not deal with inflation, you go to Tanger. Why do I have to get stuck with the people who don't know how to shop when I can get the prices that I want at Tanger? I think that you represent the true price of what merchandise sells for. Well, you know, we definitely have a customer who's a little bit more aspirational, who understands brand, but more importantly, understands value. So when they walk into a store and they say, I can get this for that, that's the experience that we want our shoppers to have when they come and visit us. But there still is an element that I like that others might not want. I bought an incredible uh, espresso maker. That was for, that was retailing for thirteen hundred. I got it for seven hundred, and the reason I did it is because the box was smashed. Frankly, I thought that was one of the great bargains. People still want the bargain, but that's a great example. So here you bought something for seven hundred dollars, and you knew it was value because you know your brand. That's our shopper. They need to understand when they go to a Ralph Lauren store, a Kate Spade store, a Michael Kors store, that they're going to get. That great product, but they're going to get it everyday value pricing. Right. And for them, they've shopped, they've gone online, they've gone to department stores, they've shopped other forms of bricks and mortar retail. They know the value when they see it, and that's why they spend so much time and so much money in our shopping center. Okay, so another aspect that I don't like that I hear about retail is, is that there's so many going bankrupt. So you would presume, therefore, that when someone goes bankrupt at a tanger, you then get hurt when that place is set up again and a new uh, new shop comes in. You don't get hurt at all. You know, Tiger, we're on the offense. 
And you know what that means? That means every space that comes back to us, we get to reprice that space, and then we get to charge, we charge more rent for it, bring in a new tenant. That tenant adds more vibrancy. And for us, we get to grow our bottom line. All right, so let me ask you, though, because you do know commercial real estate. I mean, are we right to worry about office real estate? Because uh, I know you know real estate. There probably are some areas of real estate that are just separate and have nothing to do with what you do. Well, interestingly enough, you know, we have our corporate headquarters. And, you know, there's people in our office every day. There are people in our office in New York every day. We see people. And I think that's starting to happen more and more. I was driving through the city yesterday. It took me forever. People are back. People are on the streets. People are in the offices. And I think it's uh, I think that's a trend that we're going to see more and more. of. Uh, the, the South is now where a lot of wealthy people have gone. Uh, Nashville is a great example, by the way, of where people are going. Now, when you you've got a bunch of malls all over the country, but are you looking in particular for areas that have been where they're northern expats? Well, I think the South has always been strong for us. I mentioned before Myrtle Beach, Rehoboth Beach yeah. and, and uh, Hilton Head. But Nashville, I mean, you know, you, there's no arguing what's going on in Nashville. I think it's one of the hottest markets in the country right now. Tremendous amount of construction, creating new jobs every single day. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking where people are migrating to, but also for tourist destinations. And Nashville's become quite the tourist destination. And the last thing, I, people will be saying, well, they've got to be worried about how things are. You don't put through that kind of big dividend increase if you think that you're worried. <laughs> we're pretty confident in the future. You know, we know that with uh, whatever, the, the, whatever the headwinds that we're facing out there. We know that our customer is very loyal to us, and we know that if they want the best value and the best products, they're going to come shop at Tanger. Well, I want to congratulate you for 30 years. Thank I've you. been watching. I've, candidly, I've known your company <laughs> for 30 years, and it's been one that I've always recommended. And the reason is because, as Stephen always said, <laughs> in bad times, people want to bargain. In good times, do they need a bargain? In good times, they want a bargain. That's it. And it is true, and it's also fun. Yeah, it's so true. Thank you so much. Thanks for having to me. To Stephen Yelp, he's the president and CEO of Just Tanger. Thank you so much, and good to see you. Thanks so much. Coming up, cruising through the cities we love today with the tech of tomorrow. Kramer takes a ride to the driverless future. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. These days, everybody's falling in love with artificial intelligence. But you know what you can do with good AI technology? How about self-driving cars? That's why I think autonomous vehicles could be one of the big secular growth themes for the next 10 years. Which brings me to Cruise. That's a privately held General Motors-backed company that makes autonomous vehicle technology. Not only do they have some of the best tech in the industry, they're actually generating revenue from it now. Cruise already operates a fleet of robo-taxis in San Francisco, Phoenix, and Austin. Today, Cruise disclosed the next stage of its experience 
expansion when they announce they'll be going into business in Dallas and Houston in the next few months. I think these guys have a unique insight into the industry. So let's take a closer look with Kyle Vogt. He's the co-founder, president, and he's the CEO and CTO of Cruise. Mr. Vogt, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. All right. So, Kyle, what have you learned from Phoenix? What have you learned from Austin that you can be able to bring to Dallas and Houston? Well, we've been putting together a playbook. So, you know, just about six months ago, we went live um, in Austin and Phoenix. And we went through that process of figuring out what's unique about each city, what it takes to go from our testing to rolling out a product and getting real customers using it. And we've used that to make it so we can go big with our news today and expand into Houston and Dallas. And so I think we're going to be able to do that same thing but a little faster and hopefully add more cities after this soon. Okay, so when can we go beyond this city? For instance, when I went to the Super Bowl, I had to fly into Phoenix, but I had to go to a hotel. I was out of the jurisdiction. I couldn't take it. I just drove uh, two weeks ago from Dallas to Houston. When are we going to be able to do that? Well, the focus right now is on urban trips. That's where the biggest transportation needs are. That's where most people want to move around. But what you see is each time we add a new technology or a new piece, a new feature to this platform, we can roll it out on all the vehicles in all the cities. And so I think very quickly you're going to see the limitations of this technology that's really just you know been out in the field for a year uh, start to fall away as we expand and add more capabilities, higher speeds, more weather capabilities. Uh, and then you'll be able to do that trip. So it's not that far out. All right. So I think that humans are lousy drivers. And if we never thought of putting them behind the wheel, we wouldn't have. They drink. They get tired. Do people understand the frailty of humans versus the brilliance of machines? No, I think I think we kind of turned a blind eye to it, maybe uh, maybe consciously or not. But car accidents are the number one cause of death for teenagers on our road. And I don't think we talk about that enough. And, you know, if we look at AVs, um, they have the opportunity to do a lot better and not make the same mistakes that we all do as human drivers. That's the big opportunity here. Well, when you read uh, reports of horrific car accidents, how often do you think that would not have happened to one of my cars? I mean, almost all the time. We feel like you're in a race against the clock and acting with urgency to get this technology out there uh, so that we don't have to live with the tragedy of the status quo. I know we can do better. This technology is the way. Not only is it going to be safer, but eventually it's going to be a lower cost and way more convenient and more fun way to get around. I would vastly prefer to have one of your cars to a lot of the drivers I have when I do car service. Uh, Would I be able to know or ask for a driverless because I feel safer? Well, all of the cars on on the cruise app are driverless. So, you know, when you push that button and request a car, there's not going to be a driver. And we hear from our customers that they love that. Um, You know, like human drivers, it's it's a little bit of a social experiment, what we have today. When you get into the car with someone that you don't know, you don't know if they've uh, had a long night or distracted. You don't know if they're even entirely sober. Um, And so you just take that anxiety off the table with a driverless car. You know, you're going to get a consistent, reliable ride every time. How often do I listen to companies, including one tonight, Wendy's, where they talk about that they'll deliver? Well, frankly, I'm happy to pick up if I know that the car is going to come and it's driverless. I would think that these companies, that most of the delivery companies would flock to you because the most expensive part of their operation is the human. Uh, I mean, that's right. I mean, ultimately, when you take a technology like this and, you know, the initial version of every new technology costs a little bit more. But as you see us start to take the cost out, the opportunities explode. And whether that's to do ride hail like applications or delivery, one of our partners is Walmart, the largest retailer in the world. And they're very excited about using AVs for driverless deliveries to get consumers to customers at a lower cost. 
Now, let's talk about insurance. Do the insurers see the numbers and understand that, yes, there will be anecdotal evidence of actions because there always are. But the percentage of actions is lower. So we've got to give these cars a break on insurance. Well, I think in this case, when you use a, a robo taxi service, the insurance costs are baked into the price you pay uh, on a ride. But I think for an insurance companies at large, it's going to be a long time before we start to displace all the miles on the road with AVs. And so I don't think that business is going to change overnight. Um, but as we see the improved safety performance or the potential for safety performance materialize from these AVs, I do think it will change the way that uh, we think about insurance. Uh, one of the things I think that would be a natural is one of the worst moments in my life, m- many of our lives, and one day I hope will unfortunately be mine, is when you ask for the keys. You ask for the keys from your parents because it's, you're just worried. Would this be a moment where it wouldn't be that conversation would go quite differently? Maybe even it would go in a way which is say, listen, I have a safer way for you to get around. You no longer have to worry about driving. Yeah, I mean, you really hit, um, you know, on an emotional nerve there for many of us at Cruise. I mean, we all know someone who's had to have the car keys taken away. We know someone who doesn't have the same freedom of mobility that many of us do, whether they're uh, disabled or in a wheelchair or whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, the vehicle I've got behind me here, we're building a version that will work with people with wheelchairs. And so, you know, you can imagine that people who have felt uh, either limited in, in their mobility options or are worried about those mo- mobility options declining in the future are going to see the ability to have that same thing that many of us take for granted uh, for much longer. And that's huge. Uh, none of us want to have that that moment where they talk about taking the car keys away. And Kyle, is there any way to get the statistics out? I've always thought I used to dig through the California statistics so that people understand the ratios of accidents, humans to crews, because I think if people saw them, they would say, why am I driving? Or I hope everybody else in the road is driverless because they're very stark, and but they're not talked about. Yeah, I mean, it's still early days, so it's hard to make a, a pure safety comparison. But what we have done is we took our first million miles of driving and compared the co- collisions that occurred during that time to human drivers in the same kind of environment. And what we found that the AVs are involved in 50% fewer collisions, but more importantly, 80% fewer collisions that were likely to cause injury. And so even in this early day, we're seeing signs that this could have a huge positive impact on road safety, and it's only going to accelerate from here. Well, you're a good spokesperson for it. The other guys, I think, are way too talking about on a different kind of assisted driving. That, frankly, does not intrigue me. What you're doing is breakthrough. I want to thank Kyle Vogt, co-founder, president, CEO of Cruise, who is a technology person who happens to be into cars. Thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you, Jim. May have money's back here from the break. Coming up, Wendy's gave investors a bit of sizzle this quarter. Can home gamers expect a classic double? Stick with Kramer. What do we make of these results from Wendy's? This morning, the burger chain reported a broadly better than expected quarter, a one-cent earnings beat off a 20-cent basis, higher than anticipated revenue, robust 8% same-store sales growth. Unfortunately, management also declined to raise their full-year forecast, which I believe is the reason why the stock only finished up just over 1%. It was as much as 4% higher in early trading. Now, today, the stock hit a 52-week high, but when you zoom out, 
the stock of Wendy's really hasn't done much over the past three years after being an amazing performer over the last decade. So can the stock get moving again? Let's check in with Todd Pettigore. He's the president and CEO of Wendy's. Better read it, get a read of the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Pettigore, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, thanks for having me on, Jim. Always a pleasure. All right. So, Todd, tell me what people don't understand about why the stock should be higher. I think that at 23 bucks, you're getting a bargain. But some people say, well, listen, Jim, it's been there for a while. There's no reason for it to move. Well, I agree with you, Jim. I think think about where our system sales were back at the end of 2019. We finished the year at 10.9 billion of system sales. Since that time, we've launched breakfast. We've driven our digital platform. We got more restaurants open. Based on our guidance that we have this year, we should end the year at system sales, 14 to $14.5 billion of sales. That's a lot of sales growth. It's translating into great uh, EBITDA growth, too. Uh, back in 2019, we ended the year at just over $410 million of EBITDA. We've guided to 530 to $540 million, and we got a lot of momentum on our business. So I think uh, we're undervalued and underappreciated. I couldn't agree more. I've been behind your stock for a very long time, and I'm surprised it's been stalled here. I'd like to point it was at $6 10, literally a decade ago. All right, so today you announced some news that I thought was brilliant because a lot of people worried about employment, trying to get labor. A lot of people worried about mistakes. A lot of people are thinking that drive-through is not working that well because it's hard to hear, whatever. You did something, a deal with Google today that I thought was revolutionary. I want you to talk about it. Yeah, no, Google's been a, a great partner, and we're really working with them on generative voice AI and trying to figure out how do we create a better experience in our restaurants, first and foremost, for our employees. How do we get our employees better positioned to work uh, on the grill, uh, make great food, uh, make it fast, accurate, get it out the door with a smile, uh, and really take out that slowest point in the order um, process, um, you know, ordering at the, uh, at the at the speaker box and trying to make that more seamless, more frictionless, a um, lot less lost in translation. So we can really focus on adding value to the consumer to get them through the, uh, the drive through faster um, and to do it with uh, with a smile. And uh, I'll tell you what, Google's been a fabulous partner. Uh, we're going to have a couple of restaurants in pilot here in June in the Columbus area, and we're going to learn a lot. Um, first step on a lot of innovation. Um, we got a lot of opportunities still ahead of us on digital menu boards. We'll continue to push that hard, too. Uh, and you'll see a lot of other innovation coming from us to figure out how do we really drive the restaurant of the future over the next couple of quarters. Okay, so how about late night business? What's your plan there? Well, late night, first and foremost, it's about getting staffed uh, and getting those restaurants open. And, you know, we're going to lean into uh, to late night. Uh, we know we've under-indexed and uh, have an opportunity to drive a lot of growth. Uh, we got the whole system lined up to uh, now support advertising open midnight or later um, as we get into the summer months. Um, we've got the full force of the system lined up behind it. You know, we got a great customer following at late night. We just to be, need to be open more restaurants more often. And importantly, we continue to drive uh, – delivery. And and there's a lot of delivery business to be had at late night if we're open. So we're going to lean into that. All too. Right, so how does that work? I mean, what, the bunch, we're all uh, watching the game late. We're watching the Sixers beat the Celtics and it's 1030 and we want to have a couple of burgers. Is that what happens? There you go. Jump into the Wendy's app. We'll go to DoorDash, Uber Eats, any of the delivery service providers. You can order Wendy's. Um, we're open past midnight. You can step as late as you want watching, uh, you know, all the highlights from the game, Jim, and, and have a great uh Great burger from Wendy's. Okay, so now I read about inflation. I, I know you, Todd. You're a straight person. Who in the chain is, I don't want to say they're individuals, but is responsible the most for prices going up? And have you ever called them and said, listen, this is unacceptable? Well, I think it's it's across the board, Jim. As you know, I mean, we've got a macroeconomic challenge. Um, you think about where supply chain has been over the last several years. You think about where some of the supply and demand imbalances have been. 
Um, you know, clearly the input costs in the restaurant have gone up, whether that's commodities or labor. Um, we've taken some pricing. We haven't passed it all on. You know, we're still doing a nice job, continue to expand our margins, but it's really on creating better experiences for the customer to come through our restaurant more often to drive speed, throughput, friendliness, um, and, and great tasting food every time. Um, but it is, uh, it is a shared pain that we're all experiencing right now. We're seeing a lot of nominal wage growth out there. Haven't seen the real wage growth yet, but as commodity inflation starts to slow and the consumer has a little more money in their pocketbook, it's a big uh, opportunity for our business to drive a lot of sales in the future. It's disposable personal income, still the number one correlator to our business. No, I, here was something I found quizzical. I, you said free cash flow in the first quarter increased over 40%, but it only amounted to $63 million. So, I mean, is it the way a franchise operation you just don't have? a lot of free cash flow. That's not a big number for a big company. No, when you think about our size, uh, Jim, you know, we're, we've, we've now guided to, you know, be 265 to $275 million of free cash flow. We're an asset lighter model. Right. You know, our first quarter is usually our lightest quarter on, on free cash flow, but it's up significantly year on year. So we're right on pace, right on track to deliver on the expectation that we have. And as you know, um, we've got a lot of cash on the balance sheet, over $700 million today got an opportunity to continue to invest in growth along the way. And we have a great dividend yield out there for investors, too. Uh, we're, we're, we're up there at a dollar a share on a full year basis and, you know, about a 4.4 percent dividend yield. So when you think about growth and you think about having a nice income stock, you know, we've got it all really bundled up in the in the Wendy's story. And we just need to continue to tell that. Oh, I totally agree with you. Now, one last question. I know you as somebody that has surprises on the menu. So when we go this summer, when we're going out east, what could we find that is going to blow us away? Well, you got a couple of near term coming out. Um, you got ghost pepper, ranch, chicken sandwich and fries. That's going to be a great offering. We've got summer strawberry coming back. So we got our strawberry uh, uh, frosty back into the restaurants. We got a unbelievable frosty cream cold brew that will be coming to support our breakfast business. Uh, and then, you know, we're going to have other really cool surprises. We've got some new great news coming in the back half of the year on, on the major Crave lineup. Um, we've got some stuff around our core. We're going to continue to talk about our story, um, fresh, never frozen beef. We talked about that right. through the NCAA tournament with Squares to Beef campaign. You know, in the first quarter, we saw, sold more large hamburgers than we have um, at any point over the last six plus years. So we're actually seeing folks not only buy off our value menu with the great biggie bag offerings, but across our menu all the way up to our core every day and and great made to Dave, made to crave innovations. And you'll see more of that coming in the back well, half of the year. No triple baconator. Uh, well, there's always a triple baconator. If you want to, you can go in and customize. You want the T-Rex <laughs> burger and get about 16 patties on that, uh, Jim? We will make that for you. We're a full customization uh, make to order. That's one of the reasons why we always go to Wendy's. That's Todd Pettigore, president and CEO of our personal favorite at home, the Wendy's Company. Thank you for coming to the show, Todd. My pleasure, Jim. Always, uh, always fun to be with Thank you. Thank you, man, buddy. We'll be back after the break. It is time. It's over the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate that's over the lightning round. Let's start with Carlo in New Jersey. Carlo. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good, Carlo. How about you? All right, I'm doing good. Thanks for taking my call, Jim. Great show. Watch you all the time. Thank you, Carlo. Thank you. My stock, my stock Jim, is Pfizer. I like the company. I like no, the CEO. No, I like Pfizer, CEO, terrific. But you know what we like here? We like Lily, 
or J&J. J&J, perhaps the most hated pharmaceutical in the world because of the talc litigation, which I think will be resolved to the positive of J&J. Let's go to Michael in New Jersey. Michael. Hey, booyah, Jimmy. This is awesome. Michael here from Waldwick, New Jersey in Bergen County. I bought this stock in 2019. Uh, Pays a small dividend. I'm up 110%. I'm doing more homework. What do you think about trade web markets? I like a non-financial financial. In other words, they actually just do trading. They got no interest rate risk. It's a good one. I think you have a fine choice there. Let's go to Adam in Illinois. Adam. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Adam. Listen, a few months ago in a fit of uh, irrational exuberance, I bought something called Square, now called Block, but performed more like Black. So what do I do? Hang on, cut my losses total, or what? I don't like I don't like the stock. First of all, I like I always like a company as a CEO. Just something I've been just I'm kind of focused on. Uh, and then second, I don't like any of the financials that are in that segment. We're gonna have to just say, look, we'll probably get a lift. There's always somebody who's out there just so eager to get their business that they'll say something positive about them and maybe get a little lift on that on that kind of faux rally. Let's go to Joe in New York, Joe. Jim, happy booyah to you. Right back at you, my friend. What's happened? Listen, Jim, as this big tech company tries to win the AI race, I'm concerned that their chat AI-like offerings may cannibalize their paid search and display ad revenue streams. What are your thoughts on Google? That's why we sold a tad of it after owning it for years and years for the travel trust. And I said exactly like that to club members. I said, I got to cut it back a little because I am worried about the fact that they could be cannibalizing. That said, they're awful smart people. They got a lot of things uh, cooking. So we did not sell it all. We just sold some. I need to go to Allen in Florida. Allen. Booyah to you, Jimmy Chill. Yo, what's happening? Jimmy, I keep hearing there's a nuclear renaissance taking place worldwide. There's a new technology changing the game. Small modular reactors. Bill Gates has a lot to do that. Bank of America is climbing on board. But from what I hear, there's not enough North American uranium. Is it too early for a stock like Uranium Energy Corp? I do think it's too early. I agree with you. Small fact, small module are definitely going to come back. I agree with you that it's a terrific concept, that it's very good for the environment. But I will say it is too early to buy that uranium stock. How about we go to David in Iowa? David. Uh, Yes, Jim, you asked... uh, you said something about oil stocks yesterday, and I was just wondering about the KRP, and that's not the radio station, that's oil stock. No, it's got a good year. I mean, it's a, it's a distribution situation. I like it very much. I happen to like that kind of stock. Let's go to Jim in Virginia. Jim. Hi. Jim, this is, I'm talking to you about Hannon Armstrong. In, I don't um, like companies that lend. This is a debt lender. I want to be an equity holder. I'm going to have to say no thank you. Let's go to Skip in Connecticut. Skip. Oh, yeah, Jim. I need oh, yeah, some Skip. help. I, I'm here for you. All right. I'm sending my kids to mail order college. I'm anchoring their portfolio with TFC. Okay, well, TFC is true. It's a really good bank, but until we get finished with the banking crisis and find out how much the FDIC is going to charge them and how much they're going to be able to lend, I am reluctant to say go buy Truist as much as I think it is a good situation. It's a good situation that does not make it into a good stock. Let's go to Greg in Tennessee. Greg. Good day, Mr. Kramer. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Same. 
Yeah, my question is about air products. APD. I didn't like the quarter at all. It was a major disappointment. Why not? But why buy air products when you can buy Lindy, which is a competitor that is doing far better, which my channel just owns, and we talk about endlessly in the CNBC Investing Club. Lindy is the one to own if you want to be in that business. Paul in Massachusetts. Paul. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I my just pleasure. wanted to see what you thought about the stock HubSpot. Take all right, now, the last quarter for HubSpot was good. Now, the stock is going up, 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 up for that quarter. And you know what? I'm done with so, it. So, so. I think it's time to ring the register. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. declining a buying opportunity and when is it a gigantic red flag depends on the industry two days ago we got some pretty upsetting corporate report cards from skyworks solutions and paypal skyworks is major producer of communication chips and they gave you a very downbeat view of things i tell you it was downright depressing paypal on the other hand had a very slight degradation in margins for one line in the sprawling financial technology operations Hmm. So you might think PayPal's the buying opportunity. One negative little seems to just lie a nitpick, right? Meanwhile, Skyworks seemed devastating. No comeback in sight. Yet in reality, it turned out to be the exact opposite. Skyworks initially saw its stock fall 13 points right around the open yesterday. But if you sold it there because of worries about its clients, especially Apple, you completely blew it. On the conference call, Skyworks didn't blame Apple at all. That's their largest customer. They blamed Android and some of the smaller, low-end Chinese phone markets. To me, that said, and I got to tell you, China's only just started recovering, and I expect a real robust comeback there. We know that from a diverse group of companies operating over there, the most obvious being Starbucks, that it's taking a little more time to come back than we thought. Sure enough, the market eventually agreed with me, and Skyworks rebounded from down 13 to finish down less than 6 bucks yesterday. But PayPal, it dropped, and it dropped, and then it dropped some more. It never lifted, including today, where it lost another 4%. The reason? PayPal lives in the wrong neighborhood. It's considered a financial, and nothing feels safe in that segment. The house of pain. At one point, PayPal was the darling of e-commerce. These days, it looks more like a bank. And right now, bank stocks are poison. There's so many buy-now, pay-later offerings, so many ways to pay for things online and in-store, including the very competitive Apple Pay, that there's just no such thing as financial, where just one line is soft, at least not in this market. In this environment, Every financial is guilty until proven innocent. That said, I think when you see when you look at these big declines this earnings season, we've seen more Skyworks situations than PayPal ones. There were so many cowards that bolted from AMD when it reported an inline quarter, and its stock dropped from the high 80s to the low 80s in a heartbeat. Andy's a nice size position in the travel trust, and we went out hard and to say nothing was wrong for this CNBC investing club, and it was a buy. Sure enough, the stock's up 16 straight points from its post-quarter low, in large part because AMD's working with Microsoft and HP to develop an AI product that can compete with NVIDIA. I think AMD's run a little too much at this point, but if you wanted Apple when it was at 81, maybe you ought to sell some up here at 97. Of course, we're sticking with it long-term because we like it for the travel trust. On the other hand, how about this one? First Horizon. That's a regional bank run ably by Brian Jordan that had been a staple here on Mad Money until it got an unsolicited takeover bid from Toronto Dominion. That deal should have been approved months ago. But we kept hearing about a delay caused by the authorities. Now, I thought that maybe there was a problem with First Horizon's loan book. It's a positive pace. 
Nope, it turns out that the problems were all on Toronto Dominion side. Our government wasn't happy with the way the Canadian bank handles suspicious transactions. The Fed say TD takes too slow, they're too slow to report them. I figured, wow, now that we know the truth about this $13.4 billion deal that went sideways, then why not scoop up the stock of First Horizon down here because it's only valued at $5 billion. In any environment, in any other environment, that would make sense, but not this one. Who cares how cheap the stock of First Horizon has gotten? You simply can't touch it because the financials have no underpinnings and the regional banks are the most hated them of all. Because there's too much uncertainty about the future of the industry. Will there be much higher FDIC fees? Will banks not be allowed to make nearly as many loans as they used to? Maybe buybacks and dividend growth are off the table. The truth is, we've got no idea, so we have no clue whether First Horizon stock is cheap or not. It's impossible to tell. So my advice is simple. Tech blow up, consider it a financial trashing. Let's just say take a hard pass. Don't buy, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to find it right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 